Back in 2013, I was living with my ex at the time, who lived near a nice country village. And as I was in between jobs at the time, I picked up a job at a local garden center. It was casual retail work, fairly decent pay, that I could take coffee breaks frequently and wear basically whatever I liked as long as I wore my work polo shirt. It was walking distance from my ex's house and full of people of all ages who were the most lovely people I ever met. Most of the regular customers who came to the garden center were usually sweet old people who would visit the cafe because we had free teas and discounted lunches for the old age people if they had a store card. So you often got to know all of them and some of them we gave nicknames. Most of them sweet, like Pink Hair Lady, a badass 80-year-old grandma who wore a tasseled leather jacket and bright pink hair. Then there was the camper van couple, who used to drive a really cool camper van with bright orange flowers painted on it. You get the idea. With creepy artist man though, he gave most of the young girls weird vibes. He wore a straw hat, was in his late 40s, had round gold-rimmed glasses, and would wear strange graphic shirts with naked women on them, or professional pussy patrol sort of slogans on the back. He always wore ripped jeans, where his knees were always hanging out of them, which were always dirty with paint or mud, or something. He had this weird half-smile that would never leave his face, and a kind of leer that made people feel uncomfortable. He would take off his glasses and clean them constantly, which kind of made you feel like he was trying to get a better look at the girls who worked there, especially the younger ones, 16-year-old plus school leavers usually. Anyway, it was a roasting hot summer's day, and I had gratefully accepted the job of watering the hanging baskets outside where I could avoid the humid, sweaty heat of the greenhouses. I was wearing black shorts and my red polo and my tool belt. With the hose in my hand and sunnies on my face, I was busy, but enjoying the solitary job at the quietest part of the garden center. Well, hello there. Out of practically nowhere, he slipped out from behind some plants and looked me up and down smiling with his weird, too small teeth. His eyes lingered onto me for what felt like an uncomfortable few seconds, and I turned off my hose and asked him if he needed anything. He shook his head and kind of shrugged, still smirking at my legs. Okay sir, have a nice day. Let me know if you need anything. I turned to continue. I've never seen you here before. You're a new one. Huh? Me? Well, I've been here for eight months now. I must have missed a memo that a beauty like you started. You have a nice tan. You look young. Uh, thanks. I'm 23. Anyways, I have to get back to work. Nice to meet you, Casey. I suddenly remember my name badge and get slightly irritated that he now knew my name. 
I make a beeline for the smoking area, where the tool shed was, with an excuse to grab some smaller gardening gloves, and by the time I returned to the floor, he had left. As the weeks went by, he would come into the store regularly, usually mid-afternoon, coincidentally, or so I thought, around the time I started my shift. Most of the time, I was the only cashier, so I would have to serve him. He would buy the most smallest pointless things, like forestry wire, or a tiny bag of birdseed. It seemed like he would purposely make a purchase with the intention of interacting with me. He would make comments about my appearance, statements mostly like, You have your hair different today. Yesterday you had it down. You have new glasses. Or, that's a different lip color than yesterday. He would also announce my name loudly and deliberately during every interaction. I felt uncomfortable, but I was 23 and just politely shrugged it off. Around Christmas time, I was decorating the artificial trees, and he cornered me in the forest of them at the back of the store. He jumped out from behind one and made me jump, to which I was kinda pissed about him doing, because I dropped a glass ornament and it had smashed. He bent down also and tried to help, grabbing my wrist and telling me not to touch the glass. His grip was scarily tight and forceful, and his hands were clammy and gross. I slipped my hand out of his grip and asked if I could help him with anything. That's when it got weird. He pulled out a leaflet from his back pocket and told me he was an artist and had a Christmas art show happening in the local church hall and he wanted me to go with him. He told me that he was a painter and he thought I would like his work. I had never indicated I was interested in art to him or anyone else for that matter, which is why I thought it was strange. I asked him if he wanted me to pin the leaflet to the local event board and he reached out and touched my arm and said, no, the invitation is specifically for you. He pointed his finger and jabbed it into my breast and he said, you. So I'm standing there in the dark corner, obscured from view by artificial Christmas trees, just kind of cornered by this guy who was touching me. I cringed away and said, I'm busy with my boyfriend that day, sorry, and kind of scampered off. I remember feeling really strange after that. The fact that he grabbed my wrist and jabbed his finger into my chest that way. I told a few of my colleagues about it, and they all told me that they would warn me next time he was in the store, so I could maybe just hang out at the storeroom until he was gone. Well, that memo must have missed a few of the temp Christmas staff, because one day I get told by one, your friend is asking for you at the tills. It wasn't unusual for my friends to stop by, as it was fairly popular for gifts, so thinking it's maybe my ex's mom or something, I head to the till, and there he is. He's holding a piece of paper. I cringe, 
but he had seen me now, so I walk over and ask what he needed from me. He passed the paper over and asked me to open it. Folded up was a drawing of me with exaggerated breast and cartoon-like eyes watering the hanging baskets in a sexual kind of position. I kind of stood there and said, thank you, but I couldn't keep it as I thought it was inappropriate to take gifts from customers. I handed it back to him, and he kind of looked at me with this angry stare. He turned around and walked out without another word. By this point, I had had enough. I knocked on my manager's door and told him about the whole scenario that just happened and all the previous interactions I had had with him over the past year. He watched the CCTV and told me he would talk to him if he came back. He praised me for my reaction to his advances and said that I was doing the right thing and he would try and see him off next time. The next day was a Sunday and I was not due in to work. My boss calls me and tells me that he just received a call from HQ stating that an anonymous caller had called in to report a staff member inappropriately coming on to a customer. The staff member they had described and named was me. The caller had said that I had been inappropriate towards him at work, offered to have sex with him, had led him on, and obviously promiscuous, and that I had been pursuing him for over a year. The jerk even described the fictitious relationship we had had, and ranted loudly about how I had been cheating on my boyfriend before hanging up. HQ luckily didn't believe a word as my manager had already mentioned the guy to one of the higher ups, but they thought it was wise to let me know about this crazy guy and suggest I report it to the police. The next day, I did just that. The officer I spoke to said that he matched the description of a man who was a local pest, somebody who often harasses young girls in the local area. He was also known to stalk girls in his car and had attempted to abduct a young girl four years ago. The police officers assured me that they would file the report and talk to him officially and said that he was not allowed in the garden center or anywhere near me again and if he did, I was to call the police and he would be arrested. Unfortunately though, it never stopped him from sending a ranting letter to my workplace addressed to me saying that he would kill himself if I didn't take him back and receive the gift he drew of me. Fortunately, the police saw this unsolicited contact and he was thankfully arrested. So creepy artist guy, let's not meet ever again. I bought my nephew a toy phone 10 years ago. Someone was talking to him through it. There's no clever way to start this story, so I guess I'll just begin at where I purchased the phone. 
I work for a company that will remain nameless, and I travel quite a bit. This particular year was the first I'd be able to attend my nephew Spencer's birthday. He was going to be six. I had called a few days prior to relay the good news. He was so happy and just couldn't believe his Uncle Barry would be at his birthday. The only thing then was to get him something. He wasn't like any of the other kids. His interests had more so to do with old things, you know, antiques such as old pictures, lamps, tables, you name it. If I showed you a picture of the walls in his room, you'd think it was a picture of Cracker Barrel. I thought I'd never find anything until I stumbled into a little shop the day before my flight back home. I don't recall the exact name, but I remember a sign in the window that said, A gift for any occasion. Upon entry, all I could see were many various items, lazily strewn about the room. It did look like that of a small antique shop, but I saw plenty of modern toys and trinkets in the mix. After a moment, a middle-aged woman with large purple glasses appeared behind the counter. Hello, dear, she said in a sweet southern accent. What can I do for you today? I explained to her what I was looking for. She looked at me inquisitively as I spoke, but it didn't seem like anything I said rang a bell. Though, when I finished, she made a pondering expression and excused herself to the back room. After about three minutes, she came back with something under her arm. She placed on the counter what seemed to be an old rotary phone, probably from the 60s. We sometimes take donations. Usually you're supposed to come in and do it, but someone left this at the front of our door about six months ago, she told me. My dad always loved old things and insisted on keeping it in his back office. Unfortunately, he passed away in March, but I'd be happy to get rid of it. It makes me sad to look at it anyhow. Not only did she want to get rid of it, she actually just let me have it. I was ecstatic as it seemed to be the perfect gift for Spencer. You could see where the old cable was ripped out from the back and it had dust and stains and scratches all over it. To Spencer, that was perfection. I remember jumping up and down with glee when I gave it to him. He hugged it to his chest and said it was the best present in the whole wide world. Even my brother Jack patted me on the back and congratulated me on a job well done. I was feeling pretty good as even his own parents had trouble finding just the right thing for him. But according to my nephew, I had hit the nail on the head with this one. If only I had known. When I left from my next trip, nothing had happened yet. I got the first phone call about two weeks later. Jack said that Spencer had an imaginary friend named Billy that he talks to on the phone I got him. I laughed at this knowing that it would be impossible to make a call on it, but Jack did not join me. That was my first reaction, he said. But yesterday, something very odd happened. He asked me and Lila if we were gonna get a divorce. Barry, we never taught him that word, let alone what it meant. We obviously said no, and then he proceeded to tell us about how he knew that we almost got one just before Lila became pregnant. How can he know that? I was quiet for a moment and listened to my brother's worried breathing. What did he say when you asked him how he knew? I knew the answer but that didn't make it any easier to hear. He said Billy told him. Though this was a very alarming occurrence, I was able to convince him that maybe they had told him about it. I mean, that was the only logical explanation. The thought of someone actually talking to him through a 50-year-old phone that wasn't even plugged in was insane. We couldn't have known then, could we? In a nutshell, that's how it was. For years, I might add. 
I would get a frantic call from Jack about the many things Billy was telling Spencer. He knew in depth details about his parents' first date, who they were with before, and even stuff he somehow knew they did growing up. Jack would be dumbfounded but just assume that he had told him and forgot, or maybe Lila had told him instead. The thing that really kept Jack and Lila from doing anything about it was that aside from how peculiar it was, there wasn't really any harm coming from it. That all changed when Spencer reached middle school. He kept the phone in his room at all times, right on his nightstand. He started to shut off from his friends and didn't talk to his parents much. Anytime they tried to reach out, they were met with one-worded answers and sideways glances. I had a feeling something was wrong when my phone rang at 3 a.m. Jack was screaming for me to get to the hospital immediately, and that he'd explain further when I arrived. The entire drive, I could feel a weight in my stomach growing. It almost felt as if I was going to throw up. When I walked through the front door, I could see Lila in the waiting room. When I approached her, I could easily see that she'd been crying. Before I could say anything, she gestured to the bathroom. In there, she said, her voice breaking. Please, Mary, help. I went inside and saw Spencer up against the wall, Jack a mere inches from his face. If you say Billy one more time, Spencer, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind, so you better tell me right now how you knew, he was saying. Once my presence was acknowledged, Spencer used the distraction to slip away from his father and hurry out of the door. Jack went for him, but I grabbed him. What happened? Why are we here? I said. At first, he just ranted about how fed up he is with Spencer and that phone, that it's caused nothing but problems over the years, and he's about to take it away. It was only when he had finished and calmed down that I got a clear answer. At around 2 a.m., Spencer burst through their bedroom door, covered in sweat and tears, streaming down his face. He said that Billy told him that his mum's sister, Erica, had fallen on a knife and was currently bleeding out on the floor. He knew what room she was in, how she fell, how long she had been there, and even what caused her to fall. She'd slipped on some water she'd forgotten to clean up while chopping vegetables. They found her unconscious in the kitchen, just like Spencer had said. Despite finding her alive, she didn't make it. She was pronounced dead at 3.45 a.m. June 5, 2014. The following weeks were incredibly unpleasant for my brother's family. I took time off work to help out, but I didn't think I did much. I mainly just kept them company and tried to get through to Spencer. I felt that he resented me more than anyone since I was the one who bought him the phone. After some time, they decided to take him to the doctor for a brain scan. Lila has a cousin who's schizophrenic and thought maybe he had been unfortunate enough to develop the condition. Despite multiple tests, nothing wrong was found. He was able to get some anxiety medication, which did help, but not nearly enough. And then, life went on to as close as normal as possible. Spencer eventually stopped taking his medication, but it didn't seem like Jack and Lila thought it made much difference. He never had another meltdown, but there were days they nearly had to burst down his door to make him go to school. He didn't have any friends, never dated any girls. Even when he entered high school, his behavior changed very little, if at all. I always told myself I'd talk to him when I got the chance, that I'd reach out and finally be the one to break him away from this. Sadly, I never got the chance. The last call I received about my nephew came a week ago. I'll spare you the details of how the call went, but here's what I learned. Jack was having one of his usual Spencer-won't-go-to-school days and was forced to kick in the door. When he entered, 
Spencer was hanging under the doorframe of his closet, his belt around his neck. Clasped in his right fist was a piece of paper. Angrily scratched into it in red pen was the following. I hear him in my head now. He follows me wherever I go. I'm sorry. The phone was gone as well. At the funeral, I tried to speak with my brother and his wife, but they didn't have much to say to me. After all, I was the one who gave him the one thing that started this. I decided to leave them be and hope that one day they can forgive me. I know you're probably thinking, the reason I'm writing this has mostly to do with what I've told you so far. This may be confusing, but that's not the case. All this was merely a setup for what happened last night. As I arrived home yesterday, a package was sitting on my front porch. I picked it up and brought it to my kitchen table. There was no return address on it. Curiously, I opened it up and almost yelped when I saw what was within. The phone. An envelope was inside as well, marked, To Barry. I slowly opened it up and took out a single piece of notebook paper from it. My heart was in my throat as I began reading. Dear Barry, I need you to know that I do not blame you for what you gave me ten years ago. There's no way you could have known what it was capable of. I'm so sorry for what I've done, but please let me explain, and maybe you'll be able to understand, as I already know my parents won't. With that being said, I'd like to keep this between us. From the first time I heard Billy's voice, I was doomed to face this fate. That much was clear to me long ago. I didn't know when it would come, but when I began hearing his voice out in public about a year ago, I knew it was soon. At first, I thought Billy was good, telling me all the dirty little secrets Mom and Dad kept from me. The night he told me about Aunt Erica was when I knew he was anything but. It wasn't something as simple as telling me what happened. He told me one of my relatives was going to die, and I was immediately engaged in a sick guessing game against my will. I took too long to put the puzzle together, and she died because of me. After that, Billy was only telling me stuff that had to do with serial killers, natural disasters, or national tragedies. I could probably tell you the name of every victim on the Titanic. He enjoys whispering them to me as I sleep. Today feels different. I'm taking control and ending this once and for all. When I started writing this, he taunted me, saying I was a coward and could never go through with it. But after a bit, he saw I was serious. I've already gotten my belt ready. He says before I do this, he would like for you to be the new owner of this phone. My choice would be to destroy it, but I still don't know everything he's capable of, so I dare not go against his wishes, especially if it affects someone other than me. He said to only pick up and listen once, and you'll never have to again. I'll leave that choice to you. I'm sorry, Barry. I'm so sorry. Spencer. With tears in my eyes, I slowly laid the letter onto the table. I looked down at the phone and a shiver went down my spine. This is stupid, I thought to myself. It's just a phone. Reluctantly, I put my hand on top of it. Something came over me and I quickly jerked the phone to my ear and actually jumped back at the sound of a dial tone. I picked it up and checked for a plug-in or batteries, but there was no opening for batteries and the cord was still cut. Even if it had a cord, it would still have been in the box. 
The dial tone rang out normally for about 10 seconds before I could just barely hear another sound getting progressively louder. The tone finally started to get quieter and when I was able to hear the other sound, the hair on my arms stood on end. After a few seconds, the dial tone was completely gone and replaced with that of Spencer screaming and sobbing uncontrollably. Along with him was the crackle of a roaring fire. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This happened quite a few years ago, when I was a relatively young and sheltered high school student, probably 15 years old. Some of my close girlfriends and I decided to go to a drive-in movie theater one night, where they show two movies in a row, and the whole shebang ends pretty late at night, probably around 1am or so. The five of us all ride in my friend Aaron's car, and as we were putting the seats down, and setting the back of the car up with blankets and pillows, Aaron recognizes a guy, David, that she had met a few times because he worked at her gym. He was at the drive-in alone. Not necessarily weird, but just not something many people did in my town. And he came over to our car to chit-chat. Immediately, one of the other friends, Corrine, took a liking to this guy and began flirting up a storm. It wasn't soon until Corrine invited him to watch the movie with us, inside of Aaron's car. It also wasn't soon until this guy David, offered us 15 to 17 year olds alcohol, which we accepted. Looking back now, what a red flag. I was wary of this David character, as he appeared a lot older than us, mid-twenties, and gave me somewhat of a weird vibe. But since Aaron seemed to know him, and my friends weren't acting alarmed, I didn't give it too much thought. We're not even 15 minutes into the movie, and I am just too uncomfortable to be enjoying myself. Six people crammed into the back of one car, and Corrine and David cuddling, flirting, who knows what underneath the blankets, made me want to get out of there ASAP. So when David suggested that me and my three remaining friends could watch the movie in his car while he stayed in Aaron's car and canoodled, I jumped to take him up on the offer. David's car was a small sedan with little room, so we had to sit in the seats normally, as if we were about to ride in the car. Although I was a little uncomfortable sitting in the driver's seat with the steering wheel between me and the screen, I was glad to finally have some personal space. That all changed when I dropped my phone and it landed somewhere underneath the driver's seat. While blindly reaching underneath to find my phone, I grabbed into a hard object that I realized was a lot heavier than my iPhone when I began to lift it up. To my complete and utter surprise, I realized it's a gun. I had never seen a real life gun before at that point in my life, so it could have been a fake 
or a BB gun or whatever else, but it looked real, felt real, and was hidden underneath the driver's seat for easy access. It freaked me out, because even if it was a fake gun, what could he be intending to use it for besides intimidation? For whatever reasons, my friends didn't find this as startling as I did, and they managed to calm me down and concluded that the best thing to do was just put it back underneath the seat where I found it. That was fine to me, as I didn't plan on ever being in this car again once the movie was over, and definitely didn't plan on being in the car when David was in it. The rest of the two movies went by fine. We're drinking the beer that this David character so kindly provided us, and having a fun time. It's late by the time the second movie ends, and I'm ready to get back to our friend Erica's house where we were sleeping for the evening. I hop out of David's car, ready to get back into Aaron's car, when I see Aaron's car already driving away. Corrine pops up and cheerfully announces, David has offered us to drive us home. How nice of him, right? Having no other way to get home, being slightly intoxicated, and watching the rest of my friends pile into the car, I followed suit, even though I had my hesitations. David sat in the driver's seat. I sat behind David, and Corrine sat shotgun, beginning to play her signature Justin Bieber playlist through the speakers. The car ride started out normal enough. With Erica giving directions to her house, Corrine not paying attention to anything but her Bieber, and me feeling uneasy and hyper-aware of the situation. As we were approaching Erica's house, David asks us if we have time to take a quick drive up to the reservoir, which was located on the outskirts of town, very isolated and surrounded by heavily wooded area. And it's probably about 2am at this point. The only person who even slightly knew this random man has left us, and I know this is a very real looking gun underneath the seat of this guy's car that he doesn't know I know about. So of course, I say no. David just says, we're going up to the reservoir. Confused and alarmed, I start politely protesting, saying we really don't have time, we're being expected at home, yada yada, but with every word I say, David turns the volume of the music up louder and louder, drowning out my voice and obviously ignoring me as he starts heading up the long dark road that leads to the reservoir. I go into panic mode, annoyed that none of my friends are doing anything, especially Corrine who is still singing along to Bieber. I start to freak out. I decide that he can't take us up to the reservoir. He just can't. What if the gun is real and he threatens us with it, or worse? What if the gun isn't real, but he still uses it to threaten us to do something? A million thoughts race through my head. I won't let him take us to a secluded area where any number of things could happen and no one could hear us. I decide if he's going to do something to us, I would rather risk it being there, in town, on a more populated road, where our chances of survival or whatever were better. 
so I literally freaked out. All sense of politeness I felt that I needed to have was gone. I started kicking the back of his chair with both feet, screaming at the top of my lungs that he needs to take us back now. I roll down the window and start shouting, trying to cause a scene, doing anything I can to try to stop this man from driving us up to the middle of nowhere. I don't stop kicking and screaming until he relents, almost scoffs and says, fine. As if I was some crazy lady, completely overreacting to the situation. I don't care what he thinks, I am just relieved that he has turned the car around and is actually taking us back to Erica's house. Once we get there and run out of the car, we wake up Erica's parents to let them know what happened since this guy now has one of our addresses. I didn't sleep that whole night and my friendship with Corrine was irreparably damaged from her putting me in such a terrifying situation just cause she had the hots for this guy. So, creepy drive-in movie theater guy with the hidden gun who doesn't listen to scared 15 year old girls, let's not meet again.